Our text for the theme, full, as you know, is taken from Philippians 4. I want you to notice this verse a little more closely today. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned, say this word with me, both. To be full and say to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. And it's within this context where Paul says, I've learned everywhere and in all things, both to be full and to be hungry, I've learned the benefit and the value of both of these two important components of life. It's because I have that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're in a series entitled Father Knows Best. We just concluded Father Knows Best, a series on how to make us prosper. And by the way, if you did not get one of those, those commitment cards uh, to make a commitment, if you're not tithing, to begin to tithe, to see what God will do, the ushers will pass those out at the end of the service for anyone that might have need of them. And you can just lay them on the platform as we come forward. And uh, what we'll ask is just that you make a commitment. There's a perforated place for you to tear and keep for yourself to put in your wallet or your purse right where you carry your money to remind you that God is going to prosper you because you're standing on his word. And after this series that I've just concluded, I, I think you can understand the importance of trying God. But that's not the only thing our father knows best about. He, he knows more than just how to make us prosper financially. Truth of the matter is, if all you are successful in is in the financial component of your life, I can tell you that you are not going to be a happy person if you are not successful in the other dimensions of your life as well. And so today I want to take, begin a new series. And once again, just to show you that Father does know best, Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you parents, if your children ask you for a bread, for bread, do you give them a stone? ask you for fish, do you give them a snake? The next verse says, or of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, he said, how much more will our perfect heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And among those things that God has in design or in store for us, because so many people have been positioned to believe that God is angry with his arms folded, and that he's mad and wants to judge everybody. I mean, their positioning on who God is is entirely incorrect. Part of your spiritual education is to forget who you think God is and come to know who he really is. In marriage, that is particularly true in, relation, in, in, in the relationship you have with your spouse. Every single one of you that are married fell in love with who you thought that person was. And then you woke up and realized who they really were. I'm serious. We all have these images in our mind. And we marry someone and think that they are absolutely this person. And then we discover that maybe that's not really who they are. They're still God's choice for us. But we have to fall out of love with the image of the person that we tried to make them become and fall in love with who they really are or we will spend the rest of our lives trying to change them from who they are that God made them, by the way, to who we want them to be. Mm. Go think about that for just a little while. And the same thing happens with God. We have to fall in love with who he really is. And he's not harsh and angry, and he's not a motorcycle cop hiding behind the billboards of life, as you've heard me say before, ready to pull you over and write you a ticket. See you in court. This is who God is, Jeremiah 29 and 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Would you give God praise? Amen. One of the things that has impacted my life tremendously over the last, I'm going to say 24 years, is how incredibly profound the word of God is and filled with wisdom beyond our ability to exhaust it all. 
Because that is true, when I teach a series, I like to approach a subject from different angles and perspectives in the form of a number of shorter series. So as you know, I just finished Father Knows Best on how to make us prosper financially. Today I want to begin a new series, and it will not last as long as the last one, but I want to entitle this The Blessing of Being Empty. The Blessing of Being Empty. We go back to the text from which we have drawn our theme for this year, Philippians 4 and 12. Paul said, I've learned, say it with me, to be hungry. Say it again. I have learned to be hungry. He says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I personally believe in the course of my life that one thing that I have learned from personal experience, this is if I'm taking away the correct, correct conclusion from this, is that one of the necessary components in becoming full is first learning to become hungry. Learning how to be empty. I said that this Bible is filled with revelation that I've come to better understand the last 24 years because one of the things that that I've discovered about God is he is so incredible. His revelation is mind-boggling, but there's a certain amount of life that you have to live through before you can even perceive that. (laughs) I don't say this with any disrespect to anyone that's younger, but people that are adults, if we have teenagers here, most of them are in the youth services probably, but, but if we do have people that are younger here today, adults will tell you there's just some stuff you've got to live through. And we have some older people here today that will say that they understand some things now about life that they could not have understood in their 20s or 30s. I wish I could hear an Amen. I say 24 years for me because it was 24 years ago on a Sunday morning that I was preaching a sermon entitled, get this, (laughs) find yourself, you're in there somewhere. (laughs) That was the title of my message. And I was preaching about Saul of Tarsus, who really was an apostle Paul, but didn't know it yet. And he had to find himself and he did on the road to Damascus because God... Struck him down on the road to Damascus. And in the message I was also talking about Jacob. Who didn't realize that inside he was really Israel. And the purpose of the message was to ask, who are you really supposed to be? Because life will tell you so many things about who you are that are not who you are. Will tell you you can't do this or that or you have to be. And none of that is true because as I've already read, God said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. Amen. I was right in the middle of the message. Most of you probably were not even here. We only had two Sunday morning services in those days and none of the other stuff going on that we have. But I I was preaching and I had Saul getting knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus. And do you know what happened? Right at that moment, I had a coronary event on the platform. I fell to my knees. And I actually got applauded by the members of the congregation because they thought I was being dramatic. (laughs) I had actually passed out. As it turns out, I had a heart anomaly that was genetic. I didn't know anything about. They were able to, to fix that surgically. And I've never had another problem and don't ever expect to have one again. In fact, uh, the, the artery that normally gives men problems with their heart they bypass that in such a way that they don't think it will ever ever be a problem as long as I live that God probably added years to my life at that time but I didn't even know because you see it was coming through an agency or a means that I viewed as being antagonistic to me as a problem and so after that event This was such a a staggering situation in my life that it restructured everything. And suddenly, as a result of that experience, I, I was able to read the Bible and see things I did not see before. So don't be offended when I say that some things you just have to live through. Amen. 
One of the things that I learned, for example, was not to look so much at my problem. Because prior to that time, I was like everybody else always is until they go through something like this too. When a problem came along that captured my attention and my emotions and my focus was directed on that. When I woke up in the morning, that's what I was thinking about. And I tossed and turned until I went to night and that was what I was thinking about. And sometimes, even though I don't dream much, my dreams seem to reflect the problem I was have, having at the time and, and the fact that I was disturbed emotionally because of the crisis I was engaged in. Something happened. And since that time, I've learned not to look at the problem, but to look at God. I can't even tell you how that has changed everything for me. And every once in a while, I'll drag something out like I'm about to show you right now. This is, I'm actually setting this up. And, and I do this personally on my own in my devotional time. I want to show you what I do when I walk through a crisis. I don't automatically, oh my God. This crisis has suddenly arrived and it's a challenge and, and I've got to focus all of my time on this right now. I don't let that happen anymore. Instead, what I do is I start looking heavenly. I lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. And I want to show you something. And I'm going to talk over this, but this is, um, this is the, the, the most detailed photograph that has ever been taken of space by the Hubble telescope. And it has pixel strength that is far beyond anything else that was ever released by NASA. What you just saw was the Andromeda media and one little rectangle from the Andromeda media. Uh, I'm sorry, the Andromeda, I didn't, I meant to say Andromeda galaxy, forgive me. And so the Andromeda galaxy is our closest galactic neighbor. And we are in the Milky Way, which is one of the galaxies. And our closest neighboring galaxy is this one. And from that little rectangle, they took a photo that they're now blowing up. And suddenly emerging from the background, you see these millions and billions of white dots. Those are distant stars that they can now see for the first time crowded into the galaxy. One galaxy. The brighter stars are the ones that are closer, the ones with, that are smaller or distant. Now they're going to begin to pan. And they're panning the camera of the Hubble telescope through the one little rectangle of the Andromeda galaxy that you saw in just, uh, just a, a moment or so ago. And I want you to look at this because there's more stars there than you can count. It's unbelievable how many they are. They look like they're densely packed together, but actually they're separated by millions of light years. And so they, they just like, like a myriad of tiny white dots, dots. And what you're actually looking at is billions of stars, literally billions. Some of them much larger than our planet, much larger than anything in our planet. And as they continue to pan all through this rectangle, taken from one photograph, you begin to get an idea of how big our universe is. That's just one galaxy. Does that blow your mind? Amen. And remember, look at that, how dense they're packed together as you get closer toward the center of that galaxy. It's unbelievable. It looks like continuous light, and it's not. Those are billions and billions of stars. Now they're going to make their way back to the starting place as they pan through this entire photograph. That's one photograph taken by NASA using the Hubble Space Craft that is still traveling out there. Look at that. You say it looks just like blurred light. No, that's, that's stars so closely, densely packed together, you can't really tell them apart. Now look at this, watch. There it is, that's the rectangle taken from that one galaxy that when you look up at the night sky, 
That's it right there. Now then, I want to show you something else. Put your hand together in a fist like this and leave an opening the size of a quarter. Point it at the sky. Now you're doing this right now and you can't see anything, but I'm having you do this for a reason. The next time you're out where there is not so much ambient light that you can put your hand down now, that you can't see the stars, which is the case here in Houston. The next time you get away from all of this, do what I just did. Leave an opening the size of a quarter. And congratulations, you have just discovered 10,000 galaxies. Just like the one you just saw. That have billions and billions of stars in them. They claim there are at least 2 trillion galaxies like the one you just saw. With at least an average of 100 million stars in each one. And by the way, that's more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on planet earth. Which then makes you remember God's promise to Abraham. I will multiply you and cause your seed to be more in number than the stars of the heavens or the grains of sand in the sea. They further believe that beyond the observable universe, are you ready for this? There are two trillion galaxies in the observable universe and you just saw one. You just saw one. There are two trillion in the observable universe. They claim there are at least 156 trillion more galaxies in the distant universe. That's a 150 followed by 21 zeros. That we cannot see. And the reason we can't see them is they're so far away. They're light traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Can't reach earth. They're so distant. That we'll probably never see them. But they know they're there. Because with the aid of the Hubble telescope. They can see gravitational interaction and other things. That allow the mathematicians to discern their presence even though they can't be seen all I can say is that's a great big God that created all of that oh wish somebody would say amen and I have learned not to focus on what I'm going through but on a God like that that has spun and thrown galaxies from his fingertips So numerous that they can't even count them all. But are you ready for this? That same God that created all of that says in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. What am I saying? I'm saying that it is useless to worry on something small when you got a God that can do all of that, who holds you in the palm of his hand, And has the very hairs on your head numbered. Who has plans for you to prosper you and cause you to experience good. You see, it was going through a time of personal hunger that taught me that. It wasn't going through a time of blessing and prosperity. It was going through a time that was challenging when I didn't even know if I would make it or survive. They literally told me, if you don't have this surgery, you'll be dead before the day is over. We can't guarantee your future beyond not even 24 hours because of this genetic anomaly. Now, I hate to call attention to me, but, but every one of us go through something in this broken world. And I want to tell you, life is set up in such a way that if you haven't encountered it yet, I hate to be the one to share the bad news. But there's something coming somewhere down the road that's going to shake up your world. Because this is the fallen world we live in. But in the middle of that, I became hungry. And you know what happened? I ended up getting full because there's a God that knows how to feel hunger in your life. The attention that God gives to each one of us is nothing short of astonishing. Our bodies 
for example, are incredible marvels of creation that he designed himself, and they are created to work in a certain way. Consider, for example, hunger. Paul said, I've learned both to be full and to be empty. I've learned how to be hungry is what he was saying. And that's so critical and important. He says, I've learned to be hungry. Amen. Hunger, science tells us, is caused when we haven't eaten because the brain recognizes its need for nourishment. Though I will say a little caveat here. That's not always true with all of us. I personally believe my hunger mechanism kicks in before I really need more nourishment. Anybody here relate to what I'm talking about? Especially when you, I mean, anybody, I see Steve there, that that mechanism kicks in demanding bluebell ice cream. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. That's caused by a hormone that is called ghrelin. This hormone is released when the brain sees that you haven't eaten recently. And this is the hormone that causes your stomach muscles to contract. And that is what produces the uncomfortable sensation that we call hunger. And it's this contraction that causes the rumbling and the hunger pains. And hunger can be an uncomfortable experience. Every single parent learns that. A small child who is hungry. Cannot be deterred. You can't change their attention. You can't get them to focus on something else. When they're hungry, they're going to let you know. And they will not stop crying until their need is satisfied. Inadequate nutrition can cause weakness and irritability. And a decreased capacity to be focused and to learn, not just in children... But in adults as well, if undernourishment, and that is the technical medical term, undernourishment, occurs during pregnancy before a child or before a child reaches the age of two years, it can result in permanent problems with physical and mental development. Permanent problems. A decreased capacity to be able to learn and ability to discern and think. For many people and their families, the search for hunger is a daily struggle. The World Food Program estimates there are 795 million people who live with chronic hunger. That's about one out of every nine persons on the planet who do not have enough food to live a healthy and active life. I see it every week. Go to any major city and even smaller ones in Africa and you will see the abandoned children whose moms and dads have both died to AIDS lost their lives to AIDS, and they have been left to try and survive on their own, many of them born with AIDS, until they too lose their lives. In East Africa, they call them in Swahili the chokora. These are the abandoned children, the street kids, dirty, filthy, fighting, abused every single night. Every single night they're abused. And they're stealing, constantly walking around. Some of them get glued to sniff to medicate their hunger pains. And It's a constant struggle for survival. You see mothers standing there with their little baby on their hip, dirty and ragged, and they sleep on the sidewalk or on the ground constantly begging. It is estimated that 300,000 children go to bed hungry every night, and 8,000 children under the age of five die every day from malnutrition. One thing for sure is when you are really hungry, you cannot get hunger off your mind. One of the most transformative life experiences occurred in my life because of a trip I took to India with Dr. Jay Watson, who was a member of this church for a number of years, and and he went to be a worship leader, still one of my very good friends, but we helped start a church elsewhere. There was a couple in our church, and they birthed the church down toward League City, and Dr. Jay is one of the worship leaders there who is related to the family as well. We were returning from a trip to to the state of Orissa in India, and we ministered to 10,000 Christian leaders. Never will forget Dr. Jay had brought some energy bars, and he took one out to eat it and saw these kids looking at him like... And you, you know you, and see all these kids looking at you, and so he offered the energy board to one of the kids, and took the others out of his pack. And seriously, I'm not exaggerating; it almost started a riot. Almost started a riot. On the way back from that trip, we stopped at the roundabout in Mumbai, India, 
where the largest slum, by the way, in the world is, surrounds that airport. And while we were there, somebody staggered, and I saw them staggering toward the car. Little kid, about seven years old, pipe stem, arms and legs, eyes blurred over. You could tell it was fever. She was shaking, distended stomach. Obvious sign of malnutrition, little square tubercular chest. I'm, this is exactly what happened. And I reached into my pocket to grab the few Indian rupees I had left to give to this kid because we were stopped waiting for an opening in the traffic. And before I could give them to him, the traffic thinned enough that the taxi driver saw an opening and shot into it. And I couldn't give him the few rupees I had. And I turned to Dr. J and I said, what do you think's wrong with that kid? And he said, looking at him, obviously, he has serious malnutrition. The little square tubercular chest is an indication of tuberculosis. The swollen, distended stomach, again, an indication of malnutrition and probably parasites. And you could see he's shaking, he's fevered, his eyes glazed over, he's extremely weak. And I said, how long do you give that kid to live? And he said, maybe three days. And I just burst into tears. You know why? Because my grandson, Andrew, that you've heard preach, who's going on 28 now, Andrew was the same age as that kid. And I could not help but think and ask myself the question, by what grace of God was I born in the United States of America when that kid was born there? And it could have been me sitting on the sidewalk while he, my grandson, was fighting, dying, trying to get a little something to survive. I have never gotten over that, never gotten over that. It still, to this day, profoundly bothers me that I didn't get to give that kid those few rupees. When hunger is present, I want to tell you, you can't get it off your mind. It's a constant nagging thought at the back of all of your other thoughts. A persistent knock rap on the door that just will not go away. A ringing of the doorbell. It keeps interrupting whatever else you are doing no matter how hard you try to ignore it. You might try to refocus on something else but hunger hunger won't let you. It is still there demanding, tapping you on the shoulder saying pay attention, pay attention. I'm still here. Anybody in this building ever experienced real hunger? Could I see your hand? Very few of us will have, but I mean real hunger. I have when I was young. You can't ignore it. And fortunately, we are blessed to live in a nation where as a rule, most of us don't have to be hungry unless we choose to be, (laughs) which probably is a good idea for some of us might help us live a little bit longer. You know what I mean? And studies indicate that even in America, an incredibly wasteful amount of food, actually 40% of the food in the United States is thrown out in spite of our having been blessed. One out of five children in America are at risk of hunger. Over 20 million children receive free or reduced lunch Lunch prices and prices for their lunch in an effort to combat hunger among children. One out of seven people in our nation are enrolled in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Nearly half of those are children. That is tragic. In spite of the tragedy of hunger that exists in our world and especially that anybody could be hungry here in this nation that is a cornucopia of plenty and in spite of the health problems and the developmental issues caused by malnutrition I want you to listen hunger is not always a bad thing you have to hear what I'm saying the right kind of hunger can change your life the truth is that unless you get hungry for things other than mere food, you will never cause your life to be distinguished and set apart from that of others. And it's right here in the Word of God that we discover that this is actually one of the principles that God wants us to embrace 
and to be challenged by and to live our lives by. The Sermon on the Mount is considered to be one of the most remarkable discourses ever given. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, a believer or not a believer. People read the Sermon on the Mount and they are in awe of the principles of life that it contains. Amen. And like all the truths found in the Word of God, if you apply the principles you find in the Sermon on the Mount to your life, they can radically transform your thinking. And because your thinking is radically transformed, you listening? The benefit is that your life can become radically transformed. Look in particular at what I'm talking about, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For Jesus said, they shall be filled. Who's going to be filled? The hungry. Those who get hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You see, what Jesus is talking about here is a different kind of hunger than the physical hunger hunger for nourishment. He's talking about the deeper hunger for God and righteousness, which is one of the deepest, most profound needs that has ever been instilled in the heart of any human being. And nobody, but nobody that was ever created or came into this world is created without that hunger. There is an emptiness inside that nothing else but God can feel. I wish somebody would say amen right now. Well, it's true because you were created in the image and likeness of God. You were created with greatness inside of you and you were created to make your existence count and to excel at what you do. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you were created to be great. Would you do that? Tell them, say it emphatically. You were created to make a mark with your life. Amen. His greatness is within you. You were created to be successful. That's what this is all about. That's what Jesus' sermon, you know, when he says, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's what that is literally all about. As again, as I began today to point out, you've got to get rid of the old image of who you think God is, harsh and mean and unsympathetic and uncaring. And you've got to embrace The reality of who God is. God is your loving Father. And our Father knows what is best. Jesus didn't say pray. Our judge which art in heaven. Our dictator. Our tyrant. He said pray our Father. Which art in heaven. And he goes on to explain. Because some of us haven't had the greatest relationships with our dads have we. That if your earthly father, being flawed, knows how to give you good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father, who is perfect in every way, give good gifts to those who, here's the key, say it with me, ask him. You got to ask. But you're not going to ask if you think he's sitting up there like this. The key is in searching. In other words, the key is in hunger. You got to ask. You got to ask. I'm saying it again. You got to ask. And you know, there are so many people that live their lives that never discover that. Discover that. Amen. Because what Jesus said in Matthew seven and seven, same sermon, is ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock. And it will be open to you. These are the actions of somebody that is hungry. You say, what do you mean, pastor? Because we've often read that. I was even taught in church when I was a kid that if you have faith, you ask and then you stop. Because if you keep asking, it is indicative of an absence of faith. And they didn't understand that in the Greek, what this actually says is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. What Jesus is saying is refuse to be refused. You can't stop just because it didn't happen today. You can't stop praying. You can't stop asking. You can't stop seeking. Just because you didn't get there yet, you can't give up right now. 
Oh, somebody in the building ought to say amen. Amen. But here's what many people don't know, is you can hunger for many things in life other than just mere food. You can hunger for success. Haven't we all known people who hunger for success? You can hunger for fame. (laughs) Turn on the TV, watch any reality show out there. Every one of them is stupid. I'm serious. They're all retarded. You know what's driving them? They hunger for fame. They hunger for fame so much they'll get on TV and do something that makes them look so ignorant. You you watch it just because of the sheer ignorance. I can't believe people are that stupid. That's one thing I will not do. On my worst day, I will not watch the Kardashians. I am not going to. Amen. People hunger for fortune. They hunger for knowledge. They'll go back to school in their 30s and 40s. They hunger for relationships. That's what really drives a lot of this whole social media thing. People are hungry to connect. You can hunger for excellence in your profession. You can hunger for competency and skill in a particular sport. You want to stand out. You can hunger for the ability to be successful in whatever your hobby may be. We all know people who have dedicated their lives to become experts in what they are doing vocationally. An engineer doesn't get there without that kind of hunger. A doctor, a radiologist, a professor. You've got a hunger. But here's the problem. In seeking after those things, do not forget the one fundamental need that is inside of you. That you were created with that nothing else can satisfy. Am I talking to anybody right now? You were created with a hunger for God. And some people have to learn this lesson over and over because they fight to get to the top and the pinnacle of success in their particular career. And when they get there, they're empty and disappointed and disappointed in themselves. So you know what they do? They go start something new. And they spend their time doing that. I've seen people do that with their families. Build a family, become disappointed. And we'll go start another one somewhere else because what they're really empty in is on the inside. And they thought if I had this picture perfect family that it would make everything okay. If I had money in the bank, I had all these followers on social media. What are you hearing what I'm talking about? If I became skilled and expert in my profession and you know what they do? They jump to something else and become good at that. And and then when they get to the end of that, they're still disappointed and even more disappointed in themselves. And to be honest, they keep making the same mistake over and over again. And they're kind of like Boudreaux and Thibodeau, if you don't mind me saying. (laughs) They hired a pilot to take them way back into the Alaskan wilderness to hunt. And after the hunt, the pilot returned on the appointed day. They were to be there seven days, seventh day returned. And he saw that they had each bagged a bear, a moose, and a deer. And the pilot said, wow, that's amazing. The only problem is this plane won't carry six animals, two hunters, and a pilot. And your gear, we're going to have to have each of you leave two of your animals here. And Boudreaux looked over at Thibodeau. And Thibodeau looked back at Boudreaux. And they said, we can't do that. And they protested to the pilot. We got six animals in the plane last year. Yeah. Finally, the pilot gave in, and just five minutes after takeoff, the plane crashed into the forest. And lucky to be alive, Boudreaux looked over at Thibodeau and asked, Any idea where he is, Thibodeau? And Tib said, Yeah, Boo, we right about where the plane went down last year. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> 
I want to ask you, does the terrain look familiar? <laughs> you look around. This is where I crashed the last time. Jesus stated that the success and the quest for righteousness and in the search for God is reserved for those who get hungry enough to seek him. And only you can make certain that among all the things you hunger for, that you keep sacred and fresh your hunger for God. You see, I can't do that for you. Nobody else can do that for you. The pastor can't, mama can't, daddy can't, husband cannot, wife cannot. You alone can monitor what is going on in here and make sure that you keep your passion for God alive. And this has to do with the proper alignment of priorities. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking about a different kind of hunger, the God kind of hunger. In essence, what he said in Matthew 5 and 6 is that if you can get hungry enough for God, you will be filled And this is what Paul is talking about. I have learned to be full and to be empty. Because they work together hand in glove. And I know that from my experience. Because I just shared with you what happened to me. And what came about as a result of that was a passion for God that had been on the inside. I thought I was feeding all of that time. But it turns out that it it was crying for more more and I wonder how many of God's people actually are experiencing that kind of inner need more is what you're really seeking for and this is what the message says of Matthew 5 and 6 the translation you're blessed listen to this when you've worked up a good appetite for God he's food and drink and the best meal you will ever have Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You see what that says? You're blessed when you've worked up a a good appetite. You've worked up an appetite. You ever hear people say that? I've worked up an appetite. (laughs) You know what they've been doing? They've been burning units of energy. And they haven't taken nourishment. And what you have to do in the course of your life is make sure that you don't feel yourself so much. With other things, spiritual junk food, that it robs you of your capacity to be hungry for God. Because he's the best meal that you'll ever have. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. Oh, somebody in the building hear what I'm saying. I close with this, this story, and it's a true And If you can get hungry enough and you are in need... Either need that comes along unexpectedly or need that you've created in your heart because you have intentionally determined that you're not going to become so full of everything else that it squeezes out the hunger for God too. If you can get hungry enough or or in need, Or create that hunger. Miracles. Still happen. I said miracles still happen. I learned that years ago. Preaching a revival in a place called Friendship Tennessee. Does anybody know where that's at? I heard somebody say yeah. I can't believe it. Amen. I see some hands raised. Friendship Tennessee. It was a lady who came to our meeting. Thinking she was the only one. In this modern age, who had ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because she was a member of a church where her pastor taught vociferously that God did not give the Holy Spirit anymore. You know what began her hunger? When her 12-year-old son was diagnosed with incurable cancer. I've watched it so many times. That if you can't set aside space in here to seek God, you know what sometimes happens? That life comes along and it taps you on the shoulder. 
and says, hey, all the stuff you thought you were enjoying, let me introduce you to the next step of life. Because it's going to show you that stuff is empty. Oh, hear me right now. You say, how could God do that? Did I say God did it? We live in a fallen world. Ruled by a fallen Lord. If God had had his way, none of this ever would have happened. God didn't do it. This 12-year-old boy was diagnosed with incurable cancer and only given a few months left to live. And that's what began her hunger. She began to pray. And she went into intercession and prayed. And while she was praying, she opened her Bible one day in her bedroom. Her, her prayer altar was beside her bed. In Mark sixteen seventeen through 18, she found these verses. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And she was utterly astonished because she didn't even know those verses were in the Bible. And she had never heard them taught in her church. And so she got up and began to ponder that. And that, that, began, to, that began to work inside of her. Lay hands on the sick. They will recover. Uh, they will speak with new tongues. And, and, and all of this is going on. And she had never heard that taught. And one day she went back to pray again and she opened her Bible. This time it fell open to Acts chapter 2. That's a dangerous place for you to begin to read. In verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And she is in the depths and throes of intercession. And she reads this, and she remembered what she had read in Mark about the infilling of the Holy Spirit and healing in the same verses. And now she had found another place where the Holy Spirit was being given. And as she read it, she asked, God, do you still do this today? Do you still do this today? If so, I need you right now. Because when you cry out to God, you ask, you will receive. You seek, you will find. You knock, it will be open to you. Hallelujah. You get hungry enough. As I said, these are the actions of somebody that's hungry. And if you get hungry, you will be filled. That's a promise of scripture. God tells us so. Amen. She was baptized with the Holy Spirit in her bedroom. She was so excited. She wanted everybody she met to know that she had received the Holy Spirit because she thought she was the only one that had, and she wanted to tell everybody so they could get it too. So she made an appointment with her pastor, and she went in and began to tell him her experience in prayer, reading from Mark 16, then Mark chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, and and as she is telling what happened to her, the pastor's face hardened. And he said, God doesn't do that anymore. You are deceived. He interrupted her to inform her God did not heal. He did not fill people with the Holy Spirit. She was living in deception that was brought on by her agitated emotional state of trauma dealing with what her son was facing and that she was living in denial and she needed to accept the fact he was going to die. Amen. And she responded to him by saying, Pastor, you say that God doesn't give the Holy Spirit anymore. But the problem is I received it before I found out he no longer gives it to us today. And now that I've received it when I wasn't supposed to have it, what am I going to do with it? And who am I supposed to blame? Maybe, Pastor, you're the one that's being deceived. Because God's the one that gave it to me. If you get hungry enough, I'm telling you, there is a God that will fill you up. Yes, He will. Yes, He will. Hallelujah. The blessing in making yourself empty 
in that revival, and I'm closing. See, this is the backstory that I didn't know anything about. When in service one night, I gave an altar call and people came forward to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying for people and they're receiving the Holy Spirit. And this lady is walking, you know, on the outside fringe of the altar. And wherever I'd go, she'd kind of walk like that. It's kind of like a coach at a basketball game going up and down (laughs) the sidelines, you know, as the team goes back and forth. And I'm praying for people. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. And finally, she walked over. I noticed this. It was a little unsettling. I wondered what was going on. (laughs) And she grabbed me. And she said, do you allow this here? (laughs) That's a dangerous question. Because you don't know what's getting ready to come. Allow what? I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you allow people to do this and, and be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I said, ma'am, we not only allow it, we're trying to help people receive it. And she broke into tears, sobbing, and she grabbed me and squeezed me, and she said, I thought, and this is what astonished me, she said, I thought I was the only one in the world that had it. And then she shared her story with me. And she said, Pastor, the same verses that said you can receive the Holy Spirit said that you can pray for my son and he would be healed. And do you know God honored the simple faith of that mother? She brought that 12-year-old boy up for prayer. And he had visible tumors in his body. And we prayed for him. And nothing happened that moment. But her faith touched God. And I didn't see her for a few days, and she came back. And when she came back, she had a medical report. She said, my son's cancer is gone, completely gone. He has been healed. If you get hungry, I said, if you get hungry, I said, if you get hungry, if you get hungry, If you get hungry, there's a God that will step into the middle of whatever you're going through. And God will change everything. Yes, he will. Yes, he will.